Welcome back, everybody, to the Criminology Academy podcast, where we are criminally academic. I am your co-host, Jose Sanchez. And I'm your other co-host, Jen Tosleib. And this is going to be our fourth semester and fourth wrap-up, reflection, and preview episode. And we're doing it a little different this time. We're, we're kind of just winging it and going as we go we're evolving is, yeah <laughs> or devolving devolving yeah uh, i've learned that yeah. term at criminal minds oh look at you yeah. devolving. Know, learning stuff from tv i mean that's, that's how not... i got through my first semester of college so <laughs> it's not easy to learn chemistry via CSI, FYI, for everyone listening. Oh, I can imagine. So I guess we can kind of hint to it a little bit, but we're trying to bring in someone to talk about forensics for the fall, which we've been uh, been faced with some challenges in doing so, but um, when I was an it. undergrad, so um, as I've said many times before, so I did my undergrad at Casa de LA, and you know how like, most departments are criminology and criminal justice. Well, mm-hmm. at Casa Lay, it's criminal justice and criminalistics. Um, yeah, which is cool. So you can, so they don't have a bachelor's in criminalistics, but you can get a minor and you can get a master's in it. And I thought about getting, going for that master's, but then I saw that you need to have like a bachelor's in like a STEM field. So like biology, um, yep. chemistry, biophysics, whatever. And I was like, oh, I don't have any of that. And then that's why I, I was a chemistry out. major. Really? Yeah. Cause I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to work at a crime lab cause I did some stuff there in high school and really liked it. Um, yeah. So I wanted to be a crime scene investigator until I realized that it's not at all what you see <laughs> on TV. Like, um, I had one one of the people came to talk to us and she was like, yeah, we don't carry like guns or handcuffs or mm-hmm. it's like, the, like if things go sideways, the like our most effective weapon is our flashlight because it's like <laughs> one of those like like long, heavy cop yep. flashlights. She's like, that, like, that's pretty much all we have to defend ourselves with. Yeah. No, I in high school, I went to like the community college that was on the same campus as the like crime lab for all of Iowa and I took a like a investigation class so we like learned all of the techniques like um super glue like fingerprinting and stuff and took like I don't know molds of shoes and bite marks and all of that and it was really cool definitely takes a lot longer than what you see on tv and you do not get a gun (laughs) yeah one of the professors there Professor Johnson, he used to lead like the. Uh, I don't actually know what the class was, but um, they would. It was always cool because they would recreate like scenes um, in on the building. So they'd have 
like the police taped off and like like a, a mannequin on the floor. And so he would just like walk the students through like, the, you know, this is what we're looking for. Like these are like That's the cool. first things you do when you enter into a crime scene. Like you don't want to have anything contaminated. Right. So that was always like super interesting. Like that was always like, you know, it always drew a big crowd. All right. Well, see. when we're done with our PhDs, I guess we're going back and getting bachelors and STEM fields and becoming crime scene investigators <laughs> together. Crime scene investigators. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go back to school. <laughs> I think again. I'm done with school, but it's yeah. a cool idea. And I mean, like, I'm pretty sure I've told you this before, but I wasn't allowed to take chemistry in high school. Um, they put me in, what was it? It was like elementary physical science or something like yeah. that. And basically it was like for anyone that wasn't good enough to get into chemistry. Oh. Like you, and all you did was watch um, Planet Earth videos. Oh, that's not, that doesn't sound terrible. But chemistry was my favorite class in high school. So you missed out. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I never took a chemistry class. So. <laughs> all right. Well, so, should we get back on track? <laughs> anyways, yeah. So let's talk about our summer late of episodes. And we kick okay. things off with Natasha Frost who up until then i didn't actually know Me who she was i didn't read any of her work well i knew um, who she was and i'd read her stuff but i hadn't met her before yeah i didn't i didn't even know that she existed um <laughs> but i'm not an incarceration scholar so it's not yeah. too surprising right that that i didn't really know so but she was super interesting to talk to her work is fascinating and that's one of the, uh, actually, it's the only episode where we kind of had to put a, um, like, a warning. Yeah. Because it is such a sensitive topic. Um, yeah. So for those people suicide. who, yeah. Yeah. For people who haven't listened, yeah, just what Jose said, it was on kind of looking at the impacts of incarceration on people who work within these facilities. So how correctional officers deal with the day-to-day traumas that they see because it is a very trying job you witness a lot of really terrible things that happen and you experience you know violence toward you as well and so on yeah correctional officer suicide and just how prevalent it is um yeah yeah and i think i i like that um she kind of looks at the at the uh, other side because you know most people tend to focus on the prisoners themselves yeah, and not much attention gets paid to correctional officers. Yeah. And, and like, this is not like t- touching on any sort of like official misconduct or anything, anything like that. Um, it's just sort of remembering that, you know, these are still real people doing a really tough job and like, it, it does take a toll on me. Yeah. Um, and she like, I mean, one of the things that she made really prevalent is that she wants to give it like a human aspect. Like these mm-hmm. are, these are not just numbers on a page that she's investigating. You know, it's the going and doing these interviews with family members and friends of correctional officers who have committed suicide of other officers who have thought about it or considered it. Um, and so giving it that like humanistic vibe which um 
a lot of times we don't necessarily do, but that's something that she thought was really important. Yeah. And then just also looking at like the aftermath yeah, and like not just going up to the event, but also sort of what happened afterwards, like, you know, speaking to family and yeah, fellow um, correctional officers who also happened to be their friends and, you know, what impact it had on them. So it's a really interesting episode. Uh, I thought, I think it was a great way to kick off the summer as a heavy way to kick off the summer. Yes. Um, But I think it's a really good episode, an interesting episode. Um, And yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, So then our second one, what episode 21, we're already in the twenties, which is crazy to think about, but episode 21, um, this was actually a topic that Jose proposed we should do, and it's on uh, research ethics. So we had on two different scholars, both who are in Canada, um, Rose Richardelli and Michael Adorjan, um, and they have had experience both as researchers, but also served times on their ethics review boards. Um, so they had kind of the, both of these perspectives, which I thought really provided a unique insight into the topic. Yeah, so I, I think this is one of those episodes that at least on the surface, it seems it'd be more relevant to academics. Yeah. Um, but I think it it also helps non-academics sort of get a feel for what it is that we have to go through. Like, it's not like we can just go willy-nilly and start talking to people and asking them questions. Um, yes. like, like, there is a process that we need to go to in order to do it. Oftentimes, what our project ends up looking is not necessarily what the original draft was when you submit it to the IRB. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's especially true for what we do because as criminologists we like inherently work with vulnerable populations which is what the IRB mainly concerns itself with like how are you dealing with these populations and not bring them any harm so I think it's it's also not just like a nerdy academic episode I I think it provides some insights for those who are kind of curious as to how it is that we do what we do totally and you know, I've done interviews with people before and they've been like almost surprised that we have to go through, you know, and do like consent forms and how detailed they are. And so, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people who aren't in academia think of like the Stanford prison experiment, if they've heard Mm -hmm. of it in like an undergrad psych class or high school, whatever. And like, that is their impression of how research is like done. And like, it's changed so much since then prime, like as a result of that experiment and others, but, um, isn't that, wasn't that one of the main turning points for like review boards? It was that, um, so basically, yeah, so I think most people get to hear, uh, and I think this is true of just like life in general, but they hear like the big, not so great events. So like the Stanford project, the Tuskegee experiment um, was another one that really um, drove like this ethics um, stuff forward. And that's the one where, um, I don't know if they were giving black men syphilis, but I know they were at least not treating them for syphilis, like they weren't giving them their medication. And they went on for a few decades too. Um, Such a long time. Yeah. I didn't realize that. 
yeah so that was that one was a particularly bad one and you know people were like you know we can't just kind of give you free reign to do whatever you want like yeah. this is messed up like people are dying now yeah um, because you're like withholding treatment so there's that there's um and there's other ones that aren't maybe as bad but like there's no way that you could get away with doing uh today no. so like someone like the bandura with like the bobo mm. doll like exposing them to violence and seeing if they re- like um, yep. imitate the violence or um that was, like, the reaction shock experiment. to the violence yeah um oh yeah um or where like people if you didn't listen to someone trying to like uh influence your decision you'd receive a shock or something like that I, yeah so, i like, can't remember exactly those. the details but yeah yeah and uh, like the shocks are getting like increasingly worse um yep. so so those yeah so it's those that you know sort of kind of propelled this forward yeah so we have to like like you know learning things is good and like having the science is good but at the same time you can't negatively affect people yeah you have um, to protect who you're talking to <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah. that episode is cool and um they you know come at it more from a qualitative researcher perspective but they do provide you know advice tips etc for dealing or interacting i guess i should say with um ethics review boards yeah so yeah. I think for the non-US people, it's ERB, the ethic review boards. And then for us US people, it's our institutional review boards, the IRB. Yep. Which, and then it's also like, I do like that they mentioned, like, you know, we tend to have like this antagonistic relationship with IRB most of the yes. time. But, you know, if we kind of work with them instead of in spite of them or mm-hmm. against them, then things are a little easier. Yeah, and your research can get better too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, our next episode after that, episode 22, was our second reflection episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, for those of you that don't remember, our first one was with Scott Decker yep. back in the spring. And so, for summer, we kind of came back home and spoke to Michael Radelit, who just recently retired from CU Boulder and he does work with the death penalty. Um, one of the more influential scholars in that area. Um, yeah. And yeah, talking to him was incredibly interesting. Like, well, and this kind of, was, this was our first episode and only episode that we've done in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. We recorded it at CU Boulder. Yeah. Um, in at the Institute of Behavioral Science. So yeah, it's our only episode that we've been able to record in person. Yep. But yeah, talking to Mike was a lot like talking to like a grandparent and just <laughs> hearing all the stories that are just fascinating. Yes. Like he like his work with Ted Bundy. So yep. if for all our true crime fans out there that like serial killer stuff, uh, Mike you know, not a, doesn't talk about it a lot, but we do touch on his work with Ted Bundy. I can eat Ted Bundy a little better than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, what was his title with Ted Bundy? He was like the legal assistant, something along those lines, um, and worked with him for like 10 years, something mm-hmm. <laughs> like an extended period of time. Um, yeah. And, you know, he has like notes and letters from Ted Bundy even. Um, 
So, yeah. so maybe someday we'll bring him back and just kind of devote that an episode to talking to him about Ted Bundy. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's a ton of stuff about Ted Bundy out there, but kind of getting an insider to yeah. t- tell you a little bit more is always a little interesting. Uh, totally. But but we focused a lot on primarily on his work with the death penalty and sort of the impacts that being on death row can have, not just on the person that's been sentenced to death, but on their families, how that how it makes it hard for them. Yeah. Uh, some yeah, of the and inequalities like, that come with the death penalty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we touched on that quite a bit. Because um, mm-hmm. he's, um, Mike's done a lot of work on race and the death penalty. So we touched on that. Um, what else? I mean, one of his main things is that he, you know, talking to the families, which Jose, you just brought up, like that was, I think his most, like how he felt most satisfied was helping the families, um, go through the process. And, you know, he was there, you know, during the execution, um, for a lot of what, 50 or more people that he's mm-hmm. actually talked to and worked with. Um, so yeah, he knows a lot about that topic and he wasn't even he, like, he's not a criminologist. Um, so he, like by, by training. So that was, we learned about his like career trajectory as well and how he got into this area of research. Yeah. Cause he doesn't even really pub- publish too much in, like mm-hmm. your typical criminology journals he's more of like a social legal scholar yeah and he publishes a lot in um like the legal journals like his like the uh, article that we talk about which i think is his most influential one mm-hmm. was in a legal journal and yeah. um you know he has some some funny stories about it and so like the reaction that it got from people like like who are these two yahoos writing writing this article but they're not even lawyers what what do they know about the law i I feel like Um, that's a direct quote (laughs) (laughs) it might be but yeah so and i think another thing that he drives home too is um even if you believe in the death penalty you shouldn't believe in executing innocent people which yeah. tends to happen way more than we like to admit like we get right. it wrong so often and uh, just and that chance of it being wrong um what he says something like even just having the chance that we might be wrong is enough to not have the death penalty something mm-hmm. along those lines uh, along i think that's lines, where yeah. you were going yeah yeah so yeah, so I think for those who are interested in the death penalty, whether you're for it or against it, I think it's a good episode um, yeah. to kind of maybe just some food for thought. On he gets a little of, spicy in there. Uh, it a does. Few parts. <laughs> he does. He, he yeah. definitely didn't hold back too much. Yeah. All right. So the next episode in this lineup was um, episode 23 with Jillian Taranovic. Um, and we talked about victimization broadly, but then we got more specific into school violence. So victimization and offending within the school um, and talked about one of, I mean, the largest meta-analysis that I've ever heard of or read about. Um, that she, she did like, claim it to be the biggest meta-analysis. 
ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean, what it spans like 60 years or something mm-hmm. um, along it's those like lines. Over 700 studies. Yeah. It's huge. Yes. Yeah. And then um, I think one of the things to one of the most important things to keep in mind with that episode is, um, and we touch on it, is that when you say school violence, most people immediately think of um, school shootings, but yeah. those are actually really rare events. And most of the studies in, in their meta-analysis was um, bullying, because yep. that's like the most common form of school violence. And But people tend to react to like the bigger, more extreme tragedy that is a school shooting. And so we also uh, touch on like the policies that have come out Mm -hmm. of school violence, um, but mostly centered around school shootings and how we don't really address these other forms of violence that are much more prevalent. Right. I mean, even you know, just think about your experience in school. Like I, I personally, thankfully never experienced a school shooting, but bullying happened every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just Jose, I do. Th- I think that's a really good point to make and just say it again, you know, school shootings are not that common. So we need to focus on these other aspects of school violence. Yeah, like one of the interesting things to me, and I don't think I mentioned this in the episode, um, but like I've mentioned a few times, so my wife works for a school district, and mm-hmm. when like COVID hit, it was sort of interesting when they were bringing students back, and you know, like they're like we have to put the desk six feet apart, keep the doors open, masks on, all that, and and you would, like these emails would get circulated of like teachers asking, okay, but how do we prepare for a shooting, like? is it better to keep the doors open for ventilation because of COVID or is it better to keep them closed in the case of a potential school shooting? And uh, and when I heard that from her, I just sat there like, do they, like, yes, like school shootings are a problem. They're incredibly tragic. No one wants to see a school shooting. But in the grand scheme of things, like you're more like you should be more worried about the COVID than the school shooting because the school shooting is still very unlikely to happen. Yeah. Um, But it's not like, it's not as scary as a school shooting, I guess. Like traumatic. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, and you know, like this isn't necessarily like the teacher's fault. Like this is, kind of, I think, where we should do a better job of bridging the gap of, like, what does the research say and how can we get this research to people in a digestible way that they can understand and not just have it be, like, a 40-page article with yeah. five tables with coefficients and standard <laughs> deviations and standard errors. Like, they're, right. they're not going to know what that is. Well, and, you know, I'm assuming a lot of probably what the teachers know come from the administrative, like mm-hmm. administrators. So getting, yeah, the whole cycle, not just the administrators, the information, I mean them because they're enforcing policies and practices, but also the teachers. So they're, you know, more aware of what the actual risks are 
um, not saying, you know, school shootings are very tragic and, you know, they're a big deal. We should take them seriously, but just their, their risk isn't as large as other things. Yeah. I think that's like, I'm like, you know, we can't stress this enough. We're not saying that school shootings aren't tragic, that they're not something to not worry about. What we are saying is that focusing solely on something like a school shooting is not the right approach because right. that tends to be the approach and we've seen that it, that, that it tends to not be very effective and in some cases it can actually be counterproductive mm-hmm. and um, students may feel less safe at their schools when there's metal detectors, cops, uh, drug dogs yeah. um, roaming around. Well, and, and just like and the the active shooter drills too. Yeah, that too. So that, that came to mind too. Like, like yeah, of course teachers are going to worry about um, a school shooting if every month they're having to do active active shooter drills. Yeah. So. Yeah. And man, but, going back to one of our spring episodes with James Densley, you know, in, in his book, he like discusses, right? That's his book, but it was like yeah. discussing... Um, yeah, the violence project. Yeah, just like the types of school shoot or the not types of school shootings, but the active shooter drills and just how graphic and realistic some of them can be. It was like shocking to me to hear about that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which ties into that. your broader point, Jose, about, you know, it could have the opposite effect. You could, in fact, feel less safe um, by going yeah. through all of these things. So actually, so I think those two episodes work pretty well together, tandem. The James Densley episode, because yeah. um, we do talk about mass shootings in that episode. And, and of course, school shootings are can be a part of that. And then this via victimization and school violence episode with, with Jill, where we also talk about it, but with sort of like the caveat that, like, again, they're rare. Like, there's other yeah. forms of school violence that we should be addressing that often go ignored. Right. And are difficult to address too. Um, mm-hmm. And that need yeah. more attention, therefore. Yeah, especially now that bullying has become such a, like a hot topic and it doesn't seem like people actually know what they're doing with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, you don't yeah. say. <laughs> I don't yeah. know much about it, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know too much about the bullying literature either. But anyways. Yeah. So our next episode after that was with... Bill McClanahan from Eastern Kentucky University and he or we spoke to him about so we want so our focus for that episode was just going to be green criminology we wanted to do something different this is something that Jen and I like knew for me it was absolutely zero I don't know maybe you knew a little bit more than I did about green criminology I kind of just couldn't piece it together based on the, like the, the name. name green criminology yeah. Same. and so that so that was what we were going to focus on and we saw that um bill you know was one of the leaders in this area of criminology and so we decided to invite him onto the podcast and it actually turned into a more interesting episode than i originally thought it was going to be so I admittedly kind of rolled my eyes a little bit at green criminology. Yes, this was my idea. <laughs> uh, and 
Yeah, so I must admit that it, it was a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I thought Bill did a great job at sort of teaching us a little bit about what green criminology is, where does it come from, and sort of kind of where it's going. And he introduced us into visual criminology, which, mm-hmm. again, I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about. And, and then the combination of what, like, visual green criminology, like, you know, it's a bit of a mouthful, but... There's even I one think, more word attached to that. Yeah. Visual green cultural criminology. Yeah, there you go. Which Bill yeah. was like, admittedly, that's too many words <laughs> for what yeah, it is. Yeah, but it kind of drives the point home. And and I, I wish I could give like a clear, concise recap of that episode, but I think I need to go back and listen to it again. Yeah. Because um, I feel like I wouldn't do it justice. It's just, it was just a really interesting uh episode and it has one i think one of the more memorable quotes and i I think we used it in our social media postings and i kind of just like saying it every now and then because it's kind of fun to say when um he was telling us that it it doesn't necessarily have to be like things don't necessarily have to be illegal for them to kind of be unethical or immoral you know like this whole concept of it's lawful but it's awful yes um, and he used his example of him driving his pickup truck that gets 12 miles to the gallon. Like, yep. like there's like, like the SWAT team's not going to come barging in because he's driving a gas guzzler. Yep. But it's not good for the environment. Right. Uh, you know, so, so I think this was my surprise episode for yeah. the summer. Yeah. I mean, I was interested in the topic. Um, and that, that's why I picked it, because we were trying to find something that might fall along the lines of more of this critical criminology, which green criminology did stem out of critical mm-hmm. criminology. And um, so this was like the one of the topics that drew my interest just because I think it's, it's a newer topic, one that a lot of people don't know. And um, based off of Jose and I trying to scope someone for this episode. It definitely seems like it's not as U.S. centric, um, but more lies within you know Europe and Australia. And a lot of the scholars who do this work are in those regions. Um, but yeah, I it was fun. It was fun talking to Bill. He's great um, on the episode. He's fun to talk to. He also dropped a fifty cent line, which had Jose happy and excited. Um, I did not expect that to happen. No, me either. Um, so yeah, if, uh, for people who are listening, you know, if green criminology doesn't exactly sound like something within your wheelhouse, it's definitely a different way of thinking about criminology. You know, the focus was more on harm versus like illegal behavior. Yeah. Crime. Um, so just a new, maybe not new, new to me way of thinking about our field that we're in. Um, so then episode 25 we had with Chris Sullivan, who was at Cincinnati, now is at Texas State. Um, and we talked um, about juvenile delinquency, juvenile justice, and also about disproportionate minority contact. And then we got into talking about, you know, him being a journal editor of the Journal of Research in Crime and Delinquency and what that job is like and provide, you know, some advice to people who are doing reviews and 
dealing with editors um, during the publication process. So lots of things happening in this episode. Now that I just mm-hmm. say all of that, we talked about a lot of different topics. Yeah, we covered a ton of ground. Yeah, it was fun. And he's very knowledgeable like on these topics, all of them. Good advice, good answers to questions. It was really fun episode to record. Yeah, and I think the, the paper that we talked to about dealt with um, adolescents that had been incarcerated and sort of their experiences there with like missing school time, being put in solitary confinement. What was the other one? Um, infractions. Uh, I can't I remember right now. I'm remember. blanking. I think, it, I think it was in, like how many infractions they were written up for. Okay. Um, or given. Uh, but anyway, so which was really interesting because so most of the stuff that I've been exposed to with uh, JJ has been with um, either like going back, like re-entry type of stuff or um, sort of examining the behavior. I've, I've pretty rarely read work that looks at um, juvenile delinquency within an incarceration setting. But yeah. I mean, Chris really drove it home that like you can't really ignore this. Like this is still something that they're going through that's going to have a big impact on their lives on like this, like this human that's still developing yeah. and maturing. And we need to know like what impact this is gonna have on them as in their community in their too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I thought that was I think when he said that, it kind of was one of those moments where I was like, huh, never, never really thought about that. Because uh, you, especially when it comes with disproportionate uh, minority contact, um, it tends to deal with um, most of the research that I've seen has dealt with like police interaction, like mm-hmm. do um, or incarceration, but like more in like the more youths of color are incarcerated than white youths, even though they don't quite offend at, like there's really not a difference in their propensity for offending or Mm their, I mean, you might see some differences in like rates of offending, but um, there's, that's usually um, explained through theoretical frameworks like social disorganization, um, things like that. But the propensity tends to not really, like not really be a difference. Yeah. Um, which, you know, in layman's terms means that if you switch the roles, you know, white juveniles will offend at an equal rate than non-white juveniles. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but, and so knowing that you think that um, the, the, the populations in juvenile facilities would reflect the general population um, right of the country, but it doesn't, right? And so that's why disproportionate minority contact was introduced by the OJJDP. Yep. And but I think Chris is one of the few people that I've seen actually say like, okay, but what's actually happening once they get into those the institutions? Yeah. yeah. And how does it impact them later mm-hmm. on? Yeah. Important topic. Yeah, that's now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I've really read a lot on that either. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and then his like the journal stuff was interesting too. It's really good advice for um, young academics that you know still kind of learning the ropes. Totally. And I think just for again, kind of give you a, little, a sneak peek to kind of what goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. for those that are interested in how is it that the science gets produced. You know, right. Like, what is the process? Because um, you know we can't just. I mean, we could just publish whatever we want willy-nilly, but then that's just a blog. Um, right. It's not really like science science, at least like it's not reviewed science. So it could be bad science. It could be good, but like no one's, you haven't kind of put it through through the ringer to make sure that it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, for anyone who, you know, wants more of a behind the scenes look or advice for like writing up a review, things along that line. I, I feel like Chris would be open to emails from people. Um, if you don't necessarily have that support otherwise. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So finally we closed out our summer with an episode on graduate student mental health, and we brought on two students, well, one student and one mm-hmm. like freshly graduated, newly minted PhD. Yep. So Kelsey Kramer from Sam Houston State, um, she and I met when we both went to the Sam Houston Open House and we've stayed in touch over the last um, few years. And then Kathleen Padilla, who, um, Dr. Padilla now, just defended her dissertation recently. And she's married to um, Wesley Smith, who was also with me at the open house at Tam Houston. Um, And we've sort of kept in touch a little bit here and there over the years. And actually, so this episode was actually um, pitched to me by Kelsey. And I thought, okay, that sounds like a good idea, but it kind of got a little tricky because it's not, it can get a little sensitive. Yep. And so, and so I figured, well, if she asked for it, she might be willing to, you know, talk about it. <laughs> so we asked her and, you know, she was kind enough to also recommend Kathleen. And mm-hmm. I thought they both did a great job talking about some of like the difficulties that we go through as graduate students and, like, uh, I don't know. I think this is one of those things where unless you've been through it, you don't really know what it's like. I, I know yeah. at least no one in my family has really been able to relate to some of the struggle uh, that we've gone through. Well, and that's, but, I mean, that concept right there, that's something that we included as part of the episode. No, um we ask questions on, you know, was grad school what you expected? Um, and if, if it wasn't, what was, what was different from expectations? And um, I loved it, Jose, you had a great idea for doing a section on, you know, like typical, the typical graduate experience where, you know, pre-pandemic times, what, what grad life is like then, but then we also included a section on, you know, what, changes what's different um for experiences when the pandemic hit you know what changed what made it more difficult i don't feel like it probably made things easier for very many people um 
Yeah. And that, so that I thought that so, was really smart and it was a good concept. Yeah. And I think part of it is, so yeah. So, I mean, hopefully the pandemic is a once in a lifetime thing for us. And hopefully, but I, I think it serves as, you know, so one of those like extreme examples that can then prepare you for um, things that are you know, a little further down on the, on the spectrum of severity yeah. And just like, you know, what happens if, you know, some type of natural disaster hit or, you know, something that disrupts your day-to-day academic life. Yeah. And, you know, like this is the most extreme form of that. But we kind of like, how did schools react to it? Um, mm-hmm. how, what impact did that have on students? Um, so I think it was, it was good to, to talk about that. Um, well, and yeah, just, so I, I mean, even just the topic, you know, mental yeah. health, I feel like that's, it's not something that's discussed enough, uh, as far as grad school goes, at least in my opinion, it's something that everyone deals with, um, but it's not discussed a lot. Um, so yeah, we talk about it and get into the nitty gritties, um, Yeah, there's some pretty vulnerable moments, I think, in the episode from both Kelsey and Kathleen and navigating experiences that they ran into, both good and bad. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, shall we move into previewing the fall? Yeah, let's do it. I mean... We don't have as many episodes scheduled yet as we normally do, but yeah, let's yeah, talk about so, it. At least our in our hopes and dreams yeah. too moving so we've forward. We've run into a couple of roadblocks, but we'll get it done. Yes, somehow. we will get there. So yeah, um, so we do have a few now down that are either scheduled to be recorded or have been recorded. Yeah. So our let's see. This is coming out on the twenty third. Um, in a couple of days from now, from when we're recording. So then in one week after this episode releases is when our first official fall 2021 episode will air. And our first one right off the bat is episode 27 with Dr. Jean McGloin from Maryland. And this episode was a little bit different than other ones that we've done. Um, you know, coming into it, I wasn't sure what to expect. But I think I'm not surprised by how it turned out. Well, I am a little surprised. Okay. So what does that backstory. mean? <laughs> okay. So, so a little back. So I so the week of this episode. Oh I, yeah. Okay. I was I came down with bronchitis. And so I was in really, really bad shape early on in the week. And we had already rescheduled this episode once. Jenna asked me if I wanted to reschedule it. I said, no, we have a couple. Of, and this was on Monday. And I said, no, we have a couple of days. I'll feel better by Thursday. Um, that, let's just keep it on the books and, and we'll, we'll get through it. Thursday comes around and I'm feeling better, but I'm still pretty dazed. Like my mind is still really foggy. And then, and then I had to sort of, watch my kid while trying to record yeah uh, 
So it may I don't I don't think it was my best showing, but I think Jen and Jean did a great job. And when I said I wasn't sure how this was gonna turn out, um, I, I, I guess this is true for all of our episodes, especially for the people we don't know. We just don't quite know how they're gonna respond to questions. Um, like we don't know whether some people are a little more reserved in their in their answers or people are a little more um, more fluent with their words when answering yeah. questions. And you know, I thought Jean did a great job. Um, with the questions and you did a great job kind of carrying the load on that one <laughs> while I, I was just kind of in in the stupor hey it happens it happens I mean I carried this episode you carried the next episode so it all evens out but yeah this episode is different for another reason though too aside from the fact that Jose was dying and watching a child during the recording which was an experience all on its own. But also in the past, normally we do one article or a book chapter or uh, one yeah. book. But yeah, with Jean, we actually do a series of three papers for this article. And they're all having to do with the development of, you know, collective crime and um, stemming off of work by like Granovetter dealing with collective behavior and how you know, collective crime comes together, you know, what, what are the reasons that people will join a group in offending, whether that's in uh, fighting or in vandalism, whatever it may be. So we start off with this paper that came out, I believe in 2015 um, by Jean and Zach Rowan. And we start there talking about the threshold model that they, you know, they steal from our friends um, to yeah. put it into a term by Osgood um, and talk about this threshold model of collective offending. And then from there, we go into a paper on kind of like the incentives, the rewards, the costs of group offending. That one is with Kyle Thomas. And then the final paper, which that one also where they talk about the opt-in yeah. threshold, or is that the first one? Um, the first one. The first okay. one, I think, is the opt-in threshold. And then the last one is the opt-out threshold. Um, so, yeah, series of three papers. It's a good one. It's really interesting um, if you're into, like, rational choice, peer offending, peer decisions, all of those kinds of components. Um this is a great episode. You won't want to miss it. Yeah. I don't want to give too many spoilers. No. Yeah. <laughs> People have to listen. Um, yeah. yeah. Our, our next episode, which is scheduled for September 13th, is with Dr. Marissa Omori from UMSO, or the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And we'll talk about racial inequality in criminal justice, specifically in the court system. Now, this episode, again, we don't really know what to, uh, Marissa's one of those people where we didn't know her, we kind of just reached out to her cold. Um, and so I didn't know what to expect. I'm sure Jen didn't really know what to expect mm -hmm. either, but 
this was really fun to record. I yeah. really like this episode. She's fun to talk to. Yeah. 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 I mean, we started off with a bag too. <laughs> Dude, Marissa's gonna like kill us. That we I know. <laughs> Marissa, if you're listening to this, forgive us, right? We're asking for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and in our defense, we did say we could cut out anything that you didn't want in there. So we did, but it's a great beginning. You know, it, it adds character. So. Yeah, so I'm still undecided on whether to leave it as is or to kind of put it into the end as like a oh, blooper. Oh, like a blooper. Yeah. So I think we did that with, what did we do that with? I think that was our last preview episode, our summer 0.3 episode. I think so. Because we we like started weird and yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so (laughs) yeah, she was a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, And we wanted to bring her on because she covered a few areas that we felt we had sort of gaps in like we've had a couple people talk about race and ethnicity so like episode one talks about immigration and Mm -hmm. that sort of inherently touches on race and ethnicity and uh, um, like our Cali Burt episode yeah we talk about like a black criminology a little bit but I think with Marissa like it's like explicitly race and ethnicity front and center um, and then the other thing is she talks about it in like a court setting, which we hadn't done before, sort of mm-hmm. like charging decisions by prosecutors, sentencing decision by judges, or even when it's not really up to them with mandatory minimums. Uh, and she uses an interesting method to get her sample and sort of classify um, people as Latino or non-Latino. Um, yeah, I feel like you could have talked to her about that for a while longer. Yeah, it's just such an interesting, like, yeah. I know she mentioned that a few other people have used it before, but I haven't read those, but, like, this was legit the first paper that I had read that used that method, and yeah, like, yeah, I just had so many questions about it, and I, like, I still do, but I, you know, this is not the platform to kind of start nerding out about <laughs> methodological questions. Right. Um, well, you'll just have to get in touch with her again. I know. Yeah. And then her findings were really interesting too, which, you know, I won't give away because you have to listen to the episode to find out what they were. Um, but her, the study was done in uh, the County of Miami Dade, Florida. Yep. And so their racial and ethnic, makeup made for an interesting paper with interesting findings yeah it's, it's a little unique um, in absolutely in its racial and ethnic composition yeah yeah that's a good one too we've started off with two excellent episodes here so those are the ones we've recorded already um we have two more on the books um so we'll just that the third one in this lineup is going to be Dr. Um, Brandon Lance. Lance? We haven't Lance, met with him yet. Sure. Yeah. No, Lance, um, who's from Florida State University. And we're going to talk about hate crimes. Yeah. So, so like Jen said, we haven't recorded this one yet. We haven't even started to prepare to record this one yet. Yep. 
and I am looking forward to it, not yeah. really knowing what to expect, because this is one of those topics that can get real heavy real quick. So yeah. in our um, in our episode with Rose and Mike on research ethics, I touched on it a little bit, but one of my very first research projects as an undergrad was on a hate crimes project. And there's a reason that I decided not to pursue any more work in hate crimes. Like it, oh, yeah. it, I was not cut out for it. It's, it's definitely something else. And, um, yeah, I'm yeah, excited so I'm for it. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. But a part of me is also slightly scared. Don't be scared. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And then our next episode that we have scheduled on the books after that is on white collar and corporate crime. And that's going to be with... Okay, so he's from Amsterdam. So I'm going to guess that it's Wim Heisman. Um but it could very easily also be Wim Wisman, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I, I hope you don't listen to this. Um, you probably just butchered it both ways. <laughs> I probably did. I mean, I can barely speak English as it is. Whatever. So, um, um, but but yeah. so, so we have the materials for this episode already, and I can already tell that this is going to be an interesting one and also a little bit of a heartbreaking episode. Yeah. So as far like what we know at this point, we're going to be talking about um, like corporate involvement in atrocity crimes. So yeah, it's, I think the, I don't know anything about this topic. Um, And for that reason, I'm looking forward to it, but I agree, Jose. Um, I think it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and heartbreaking. I think this. I think this is going to be, you know, how like Bale said, uh, lawful but awful. I yep. think this is going to be unlawful and awful <laughs> and awful, all um, of the things. Yeah, so I'm excited for that episode too, and yeah, yeah. I, and I that one's going to be that one's interesting because we're dealing with the time difference here, so. It's going to be an early morning recording for us. Yeah. Um, so, but looking forward to it. I might be in the fog again. But you will not be. It's going to be good. <laughs> all right. So at this point, that's all that we currently have scheduled. We can talk a little bit about what we hope to have on um, without really going mm-hmm. into a lot of detail. So uh, Jose already mentioned this. You know, we're hoping to have someone come on and talk about, you know, criminalistics Um just to give it a different perspective, you know, a lot of what we talk about is um, very like criminology, like centered. So to do something a little bit different, that's grounded, maybe more in like practice. Um, mm-hmm. So that will be cool. And it's still like a big part of the criminal justice system. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. You know, it, it's just one side that I think... I think we're more concerned with like offender, well, primarily offenders, you know, victimology has um, started to pick up some steam, you know, looking at things through the victim's eyes. We have a ton of work on policing, uh, work on corrections. We've seen some work kind of being done on correctional officers. 
But, you know, when, like, say when, like, a murder happens, like, you need people to process that that crime scene. Like, right. And what, so this will give us some insight into, like, what they're taking. So one of the things that we, that I'm excited to talk about, and I've, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, like, the CSI effect. And so, like, we want to, it's a myth. And so we want to debunk that myth, but we want to get someone that can do it in a way that's better put than what Jen and I can speak to, because yeah. this is not really, this is outside of our wheelhouse um, completely. Yeah. And so, and then also at Casa de Lay, so I took three criminalistics classes. Um, one of them was required. It's like an intro to forensics. Okay. And then I took crime scene management. And then I took one more and I can't for the life of me remember what it is. I keep wanting to say sex crimes, but I don't think it's, but I don't think it's like, um, like, I don't think the class itself is sex crimes. I think it's like evidence processing or something like that. Oh, and like, yeah. you know, sex okay. crimes um, was like the specialty of the professor. Right. Um, um, that would be interesting. And so, yeah. And so we learned. And so one of the things that I'm that I also be interested in discussing is some, some of the critiques that have been leveled at forensic yeah. science. Um, because, you know, like when you're in like a court case, like uh, a defense attorney or in some cases the prosecutor is going to want to discredit the science mm-hmm. when it's not in their favor. So uh, so I think that'd be super interesting. So we're trying to get someone on for that. I think that'd be a fun episode to do. Yeah. Um, um, then we're hoping to have, so our like grad student episodes this this for fall, we really want to have one on conferences and networking, um, maybe touching on both like normal times and pandemic times. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, and then we might do one other grad, grad school one. Not sure yet. We're still working on it. Yeah. Uh, I know we're trying to do another career reflection episode yep. and we're trying to find someone to come on and do one uh, yeah. we have a couple of people in mind so we'll see how that turns out yep we are trying to get into rural criminology a mm-hmm. little bit um which i think is another one of those areas that kind of gets is not like super mainstream yeah um because you know, most crime tends to happen in urban areas, or at least that's what we believe. I don't actually know if yeah. the rates of rural crime are similar or not. Um, so that's why we want to bring someone that actually knows what they're talking about. Because um, yeah. I imagine it, it, it consists of more than just like stealing someone's corn. Uh, but like only experience you have with rural stuff is like Iowa because of me, I feel like. Yeah. Pretty much. Oh, man. And um, um, then we're also looking for like a, a really cool student paper. So, you know, if you are a student, you want to talk to us. Um, we're going to be looking for someone to speak to, but we're always happy to hear from you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then another. So we're really trying to like expand our horizons uh-huh. here. So another area, and it, it just became an ASC division not that long ago, yep. is um, this topic of convict criminology. Um, 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is people that study criminology but have been on the other side and actually served time in prison. Not a requirement. Um, okay. But I think like some of the founders do fall under that category. Okay. Yeah. So I'm still a little unclear as to what exactly convict criminology is. But again, this is why we do these episodes because yeah. we don't know when we want to know. Totally. And, and, you know, having someone that's an expert in that area is a great way to learn. Yeah. Um, we're trying to get a couple more or maybe not a couple more, but at least one more um, person to talk to us about correctional research. And uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's it for fall. We're, yeah. you know, we're slowly trying to cover all of the different divisions um, at ASC, American Society of Criminology. So we will see if we, you know, how long it takes us. There's quite a few of them now, which is cool. Yeah, and every year they add a few more. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We will keep plugging away. Yes. All right. Well, that is what we have in store for all of you. Jose, do you have any last um, brilliant thoughts, ideas, comments? And no, not really. Oh, well, I do have one thing. And I know we play our sort of message at the end of every episode, urging people to rate, subscribe, and review. But yeah, really like that, especially if you're, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. If you don't, um, I would urge you to create an account and rate and review on <laughs> iTunes. Like you don't have to listen through Apple Podcast um, or even have an iPhone to do it. Um, but one of our goals for this thing is to kind of start cracking into the top social sciences list, and we need we need reviews in order for that to happen. And, you know, we're not, um, we're open to feedback and yeah. constructive criticism, anything that we could do better, we're open to hearing that. Uh, and we are always trying to find ways to improve the podcast, you know, tinker with the formatting here and there, sort of Absolutely. how we structure episodes or what kind of content we bring. Like we've got a couple ideas that we, are discussing of maybe including I don't know if it'll happen for fall but maybe for spring yeah um but yeah those reviews would be super helpful cool one more thing aside from reviews which we want that for a variety of reasons but also first off thank you to everyone for listening thank you to all of the guests that we've had on but also be on the lookout at the grad student forum section in the criminologist. You just might see some familiar names there oh, in the yes. near future. <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, also, this is not this is going to be released a little bit before then, but our one year anniversary is coming up <laughs> next month. Yes. Um, in exactly four weeks, I believe, right? September 18th. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The yeah, 18th. So, well, and our goal is to hit 
10,000 listeners and we are amazingly pretty close or not listeners, but listens. And we're amazingly close to that. So yeah, last time we checked, we were at 9,300. So yes. And we didn't, we didn't, we thought we set our goal like super duper lofty. So that just goes to show how thankful we are for all of you listening. Yeah. So we're going to cut it close, but we're pretty confident where we're going to get there. And it's all thank to Thanks to our listeners. We yeah. truly appreciate you. And yeah. Yeah. All right. All and right. That's all Thanks, we have. everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye.